life. Every life, every heartbeat, began with a mom who willingly accepted a divine role, a thankless job, a sticky, sleepless, soul-stretching career. For nine months, 90 months, 90 years, she taught us right from wrong, left from right, baking soda from baking powder. She slept little and worried much. She laughed, lathered, rinsed, and repeated, and repeated. Who taught us to love God, to love others, to love ourselves? Who prayed with us and prayed for us? Who read to us and taught us what the words meant? It was Mom. Who was the champion, the cheerleader, the chief inspiring officer? Who was the queen of bedtime, dinner time, holidays, holy days, early mornings, late nights, music lessons, life lessons, and everything we cling to with all our hearts? It was, it is, and forever will be, Mom. Once again, thanks, moms. We really appreciate you. Now, I share with you uh, that I grew up in a pastor's home, and, uh, and my father in particular, he was in a ministry where uh, what his, uh, really, what he loved to do was go in and take churches that were, were almost dying and help them restore their health or plant churches, which means to start new churches. And, and in fact, one of the churches he started out in California uh, last weekend celebrated their 50th anniversary, so a uh, pretty cool thing to see something he planted years ago still going on. Uh, but what that meant for me personally is that uh, my dad would, we, we usually stayed at, in a place for three years was, was a long time, four years once, uh, one time in, in the different ministries he had, because as soon as it got to a point where it was really going well, my dad would get the itch to go to some other church that was really struggling or town that didn't have a church. And uh, so that was kind of our life growing up, uh, which there are good, good aspects of that. Uh, but uh, like if you're a military kid, you, you understand some of this. One of the, one of the uh, real detriments from my perspective was I frequently was starting in a new school, in a new community. And I will tell you that... Uh, uh, to this day, I have reoccurring nightmare, and actually, it's probably a combination of things, uh, because you know you start a new school, especially as I got into junior, the junior high years. Uh, you know that the, in fact, when I started into junior high, we moved from a small town in Kansas, a town of, of about a hundred people. In fact, the school I went to, all the grades were combined. Every class had two grades in it, and uh, from and we moved from there to a suburb of Barstow, California. Uh, and I went to school in Barstow, which so I suddenly was thrust into this junior high that had thousands of kids. And, uh, and I'd never, you know, in, uh, in Kansas, we didn't have lockers. You didn't need lockers. You just put stuff in your desk. And, well, suddenly, you know, I had a locker, and I remember just almost total panic. They gave me this combination the first day. Two things, my combination and my class schedule. 
And they said, to the, don't lose your combination because that's where you need to keep all your stuff. Well, I'm panicked already because I don't remember those kind of things. And then they have the schedule, and they said, there's your schedule. And they said, here's the, the, where the rooms are. Well, this is a huge school. I have no clue where those rooms are. And so you can imagine, here's a junior higher, and I'm handing these two things, and I'm just filled with anxiety. Uh, and so my nightmare, even my recurring nightmare that still happens today, by the way, sometimes is, is this. I, two things. I forget my locker combination which leads to me missing classes because my books that remind me of what classes I have are in the locker, and so I miss classes, and I'm about three-fourths in my mind, three-fourths the way through a semester, and I run into a teacher who says, uh, where have you been? You're going you're gonna to flunk my class because you haven't been to class. And, and I still have that nightmare today. It's just, uh, you know, uh, and so I'm always, that, that whole, and it all wraps around knowing the combination. If I just could remember the combination, life would be good. Well, isn't that kind of the way uh, we kind of think? I just wish someone would give me the combination of life. You know, I just if, if somebody could just tell me how to make this thing work, uh, I, I'll be fine. Now, you, most of us, there have been times in our life where we were pretty convinced we knew the combination. You know, maybe, uh, you know, I've been to a, lot, a number of uh, graduation parties as you have this week. Uh, in fact, I... Made it to one yesterday, an hour early. Now, 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 that's my wife's fault. Now, here's why: because she's in Florida taking care of her sister right now. And if she had been here, I wouldn't have done that because I wouldn't get because she does she keeps those things straight. So you know, it's right where you walk in, and and the family was there, so they're kind of looking, and and uh, so there's a few people there because they're helping get things ready, and. And I can tell there's this look on their face when I'm trying to figure out what it is. And, and then they said, well, everything's going to be out in the garage. So I got in the garage. Well, nobody's in the garage. About that point, it dawns me. I said, uh, something's not right here. And they said, well, you're an hour early. I'm that guy. Believe it or not, I'm that guy. So anyway, so, but, so you know, but I'm thinking of high school. I remember when I was in high school, I was pretty sure I knew life. I, I had it all figured out when I graduated. I was, I knew everything I needed to know. And, and uh, you know, you head off to college and, and you think you've got it all figured out, what's important, what you need, what's the, you know, how things work. And then you get this one professor who destroys it all, you know, just you walk away and you realize, I don't know anything, or at least he makes you think, or she makes you think you don't know anything. Or, or for some of us, it was marriage. We were convinced, you know, I, I, when I find that perfect person, we will get married, and it, that's it. That's the combination of life. Once you find that person to love and, you know, to live with the rest of your life, and, and uh, it's just, it, you know, happily ever after. I read about it all the time growing up. And, and so that's, you went into that absolutely convinced that that's the combination of life. Only just discovered that it really doesn't quite work that way, does it? It's, uh, you know, it isn't all happily ever after. Uh, in, in fact, uh, it's sometimes... Clearly the opposite of happily ever after. Uh, so then you think to yourself, well, I know what it is. It's children. We need children. If we had children in our life, that's the thing. That's that missing element. And so now if we get children, that'll solve everything. We'll, we'll love each other better because those little ones are going to be in our life. And, and uh, it's going to make everything just go the way it's supposed to do. That's the right combination. And I, I, I've, been, I've been in marriage counseling situations where they're convinced that, you know what, we just need to have another baby. That'll make it better. And I'm thinking, no, no, let me tell you, it won't. And, 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 you know, so you get that little baby, and they're so precious. They're so perfect. 
until they get to that age where they can sass back and roll their eyes at you. And all of a sudden, you're like, whatever happened to that cute little thing? And that's before they ever became teenagers. I shared with you before, when I was young, when my kids were all just little, they were these little stair steps. I preached a series called Raising Godly Children. I was so stupid. I had no idea what that meant. There were so many things that I thought I knew that I did not know. And uh, my teenagers kind of set me straight on that. Uh, So anyway, so, you know, we have all these things that we're sure, you know, and and then maybe you've kind of got to the point in life where you realize, oh, I don't really know anything. You know, uh, I I watched a uh, uh, movie last night on Rich Mullen's life. I don't know how many of you know Rich Mullen. Uh, Our God is an awesome God is one of his favorite songs. He wrote a lot of songs for Amy Grant. Uh, Just uh, really... uh, uh, I shouldn't have watched. The last thing I did after I got back home from all the graduation parties, I, I thought I'd watch his life. Shouldn't have, because it plagued my mind all night long. Didn't sleep well because I was wrestling through. But he, he made a statement in one of the concerts. He stand, he's, he's up front. And he was one of the things that, you know, he just kind of was at odds with the uh, whole industry uh, of uh, music, Christian music. And they kept telling him, you know, you got to quit talking in your concerts because people don't come to hear you talk to hear, and he just wouldn't do it. But one of the, one of the concerts, he says, I, he says, I know you look at us, you know, we're us music, musicians and these artists, and you think we know what we're talking about. I'm here to tell you we don't know any more than you do. And that's just the reality. And you reach that point, and you're starting to say, boy, I, I'm not sure I know what the combination is. Well, we're looking at a letter right now. In fact, if you want to go to Colossians, that's where we're at. Uh, I'd encourage you to you know, on your devices or in your Bibles, because we're walking through this letter that, that a guy by the name of Paul, Paul who uh, actually was not a follower of Christ during, during the time that Jesus was on, on this earth, walking and talking, he was opposed to him. But then he met Christ after he rose from the dead, and that switched his life around. And and he's a guy that actually wrote most of our, what we call the New Testament, the second part of the Scriptures. <coughs> Paul writes to this church, and, and it's really interesting, this church, and we're going to see in a moment because he's going to describe them, this church really did have the combination. They, they had really figured things out because of Paul's teaching and others like him. They had, they had really kind of wrapped their life around something that had made an enormous difference in it. It had settled so many things that they were wondering about and longing for, and, but then what happens is, uh, after a period of time, some individuals moved into that group and started uh, uh, questioning the things that they were sure life was wrapped up in. In fact, not, so, not even just sure, it, they, it had been proven, but they started saying, well, that's not really true, and you misunderstood this, and it's not really about Jesus, it's really about knowledge, and they were called the Gnostics, which, which means it's based on the Greek word knowledge. And, and all of a sudden, the, this church and these folks are starting to really wonder, okay, have we got this all wrong? What's going on? And, and they're really struggling. And Paul's heard about this. Uh, he, he's found out that they're going, and he cares about them. And so he's written this letter to them to try to remind them of what the combination is, what they had figured out before and, 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 and was making such a huge difference. But now they're letting it go by the wayside because of what these individuals are saying. And and so we started digging into that last week, and we're going to go into chapter 1 this morning. We've been kind of jumping around a little bit in the introduction. But So Paul goes, and he's writing this letter. Remember, he's in prison when he writes this. Uh, he says, we, and here's what he says. Here, here's where you were. When you figured it out, this is how life was for you a while back before you got confused by all these crazy ideas that are being thrown at you. He said, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, and, and that's one of the things we've talked about a lot, you know, uh, if 
our relationship with Jesus is what it's supposed to be. And based on what it's supposed to be based on, which is not religion or works or rules or, or other people's expectations of you, it's based on an understanding that God loves you, period. And if it's based on that, what it tends to do is it makes you have a love for other people because you recognize, man, God loves me without condition. And, and so why shouldn't I love others? And, and so it happened with them. And of the love you have for all the saints and, and the faith and the love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven, another thing is they've relaxed. They're not worried about the future anymore because they now know the heart of God for them. And so realizing that, and we'll talk more about this in a moment, but really having that been settled in their mind, they just, it, and the hope here is not, you know, uh, the author of Hebrews writes about later, he says, this hope is, is a certainty. It's not like we say, hope, I hope that happens. No, it's my, I'm, I'm waiting, I know it's happening. I'm just hoping and ra- waiting for the day. And he says, what that's done for you is, uh, you, you know, you know your future, and you've relaxed about that, and that you have already heard that you've already heard about from the word of truth, the gospel. Remember, the gospel means good news. It's the good news about Jesus Christ. And so he says, that was all settled for you. And, and it was having this wonderful impact on you. Finally, in your life, you knew you had the combination. That, that void that you were looking for, it was filled. But now these individuals have moved in and they've confused you and you're off track. And, and so he says, in fact, he said, all over the world, it's having the same effect. It's not just you people in Colossae. This is having that same exact impact all over the world. But something's happened. And Paul's response is, because he's not there. It's really interesting. He's not there present with them. He's in jail. He can't be with them. You know, so many times I've uh, been thinking of Mother's Day. Uh, Over the years of ministry, I've had mothers in my office who have children who are walking a path that they know is going to be destructive or is destructive and, and they have such heartache and, and, they're, and they're saying, I've, I've tried everything and they'll go through the list of things they've tried to do and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and I don't know what else to do. And I probably at times said it this way and said it wrong. I've, I probably at times said, well, you know, really all you can do is pray. What I probably should have said is the best thing you can do is pray. And, and here's Paul in this almost, you could have this sense of helplessness. I'm in jail. I can't come be with you. I would like to come and wring those false teachers' necks and chase them out of town so that they can quit messing with your mind, but I can't. So I'm praying for you. And I'm praying this specifically, that God will fill you with knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I want you to know God. And I want you to know his will. In fact, he elaborates. He says, we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy. In fact, this is the key verse that this whole series works around. We pray this that you may have a life, live a life worthy of the Lord. Now, I know some of you, based on your experience with religion, church, in those words, life worthy of the Lord, you hear all kinds of word uh, rules and demands, you know, that, that God's, that this perspective, God's got this, you know, he's got this this printed list, and then he's got an invisible list. You better get it all right, or he'll bring the hammer down, because that's what God's waiting to do. Just screw up in one place, and you're going to get it. And, and, and that's not exa- all what's going on. What Paul wants him to, to know is what God is looking for is a, and this life that's worthy of him is this life that understands that it's really not about 
Me, it's not, God's not, he, it's about his grace. He loves me no matter what. No matter what. He loves me. And nothing will change that. So I pray that in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. In fact, remember our list we'll look at in a moment. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. We kind of summarized that last week. Live up to your identity. Understand who you are in God, that he loves you, and nothing will change that. You are his child. In fact, the Bible says when you accept his gift of forgiveness, he adopts you into his family. You're his child. You don't have to worry about any of that again. You're his child. and So live up to that. Live motivated by pleasure. And we hear that, we're thinking, yeah, well, that's my problem. Is I No, not your pleasure. You live to, to please God. Live bigger than yourself. You know, he says, it's, you know, when you get this perspective, it's amazing the horizons that God opens up for you. Live on the increase. Grow in knowledge. He says, grow in knowledge. And re- realize, as we talked about, we study this word not because, uh, you know, well, this is where we get the rule book. No, we study this word because it allows us to get to know God. He want, he's about relationship. He's not about religion. Never has been. And, and the more I read and learn this, the more I know about, I learn my God's heart for me and and he says, you should, we should be growing. Just like any relationship, a good, healthy relationship is constantly growing. I'm constantly in communication. We're talking. We're learning about each other. That's what he's talking about here. So, and he's saying, live, increase in the, every day in that. And then Paul goes back to, let's get back to the combination. Because what's happened is these folks have, that have moved into this church have got them off track. He says, I've got to bring you back to what it's about. It's not about religion. It's not about just gaining knowledge for knowledge's sake or they have this kind of weird knowledge. This, uh, you could have this divine connection, you know, and, and it's not about any of that. It's, it is everything is about Jesus. And I know what happens when I say something like that. Uh, you, you, people, you sit here and think, well, that's what you're a preacher. You're supposed to say that. It's about Jesus, you know, everything's about Jesus. It's like, you, I'm sure I've told this joke before, but it's about the kid in, in, in Sunday school and his teacher said, you know, he asked the question, said to her kid, she says, now kid, she says, what is black looks like a kitten and has a white stripe down its back. And, you know, some little kid raises his hand, he says, teacher, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sounds like a skunk to me, you know, and because <laughs> that's what, it's always Jesus. But here's the reality, and that's what Paul's saying, it is about Jesus. It is about Jesus. But here's the other aspect of this, you know, folks will sometimes, you'll hear this and, and uh, you'll say, well, yeah, I, I, I believe Jesus. He is a historical person. I mean, if you study history at all, you know it's, it's not a pretend story. He actually walked on this earth and talked on this earth. Uh, all kinds of historical evidence for that. So, yeah, I believe that. In fact, I, I think he was a good, pretty good dude. You know, what I know about him, I, I, he, that little speech he made on the mountain, that Sermon on the Mount thing, man, he's, he had some cool things to say. And, and I think he's probably one of those guys you probably ought to look at his life and emulate it. And, and Paul's saying, <laughs> yeah, okay, that's true. But there's so much more. And, and this is just setting the groundwork. He's saying, before we get in, into this conversation, which he's going to talk about in the weeks ahead in this letter as we look through it, is here, I need, you need to understand who we're talking about here. That individual that walked on this planet named Jesus Christ, that hung with the folks who uh, and, and, and took the disciples and healed people and prayed for people 
and, and died on the cross and rose again three days later, and that's been historically proven too. He said, that individual, as much as you think you know about him, here's what you need to know. First of all, and here's what I want you to do. I'm going to walk down. I'm just going to kind of state what's going on in these verses. You look at them though. Verse 15. Look at verse 15 of chapter 1. First of all, he says, here's what you need to know about Jesus. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. And, and we're going on eyewitnesses that wrote in Scripture of their time. But he's saying those individuals who talk to you about what they, what they saw in Jesus' life as he walked and talked on earth, I want you to know they were talking and walking and being and sleeping and eating with, with God. He was God in the flesh. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. Verse 15 as well. He is the first and the foremost He is the most important person you could ever get to know and allow to be a part of your life. He goes on, verse 16. You may not have realized this, but Paul's saying he was the creator. Everything, in fact, you read that verse. Not, he's, he's not just, you know, it, it's the things that you see. He created everything. Some of what we see is very visible, but some of it's not even visible to us. He is the creator of all things. Not only that, he is eternal. He's always been and always will be. Now, when he created you and I, we always will be too. You know, there's a mistake sometimes people, you know, even as we talk in the church sometimes, will say, well, you know, you need to come to know Jesus. You need to accept that gift he's offering so, so that you can live forever. That's true. But here's the reality. Everybody here is going to live forever. You're, I don't care who you are, and I don't care whether you ever know, ever have any contact with Jesus at all. You're going to live forever. It's just where you're going to live. That's what Jesus came to, to provide for us, an opportunity to live with him forever. Goes on. He holds it all together. <laughs> you know, once, and that's what Paul's saying. You know, these, these people in this church are getting all concerned about what's going on and these life events, and these people are confusing us, these teachers. And he's saying, don't you realize you have a relationship with the one who holds it all together? What are you worried about? If he can hold everything together, won't he hold your life together? He's our leader. He's our protector. He's our resurrected Savior. And you know, as we walk through Easter, we talked about this. All these individuals, all those close friends of Jesus that hung with him as he walked and talked for those three years, right by his side, listening to his words, seeing him do the miracles, healing people, and saw all this take place, and then they saw him hung on a cross. You remember what they did? They did what you and I would do. They said, oh, well, that's it. We thought that he was the that God's coming Messiah. We thought he was the guy, and obviously he's not because he's dead. And they went back to fishing. They went back to doing the things they were doing before. Why not? Their, their, their leader was gone. And then here's Paul, the guy who wrote this letter, who actually is saying, I'm going to stamp out this whole idea of Christianity. And, and, and the only thing that changed was three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, and those people, every one of them, got to meet him and talk to him and walk with him again. And all of a sudden, they realized it's not over. It's just beginning. He's our resurrected Savior. He is 
and must be supreme. And see, that's what it's kind of come down to. It's got to be about Jesus. Now, you have to make that decision on your own. You have to decide either my life's going to be wrapped around, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, and first of all, first decision is I'm going to investigate this. You know, I'm not going to believe it just because this guy up front's saying that that's the most important thing to know. I'm going to check it out. So I would tell you, and we have, there's, if you need a Bible, make sure you grab me or there's some blue ones back there. I'll make sure you have one and, and start reading with this guy named John. Look for John, J-O-H-N, and, and uh, read what he says about Jesus and just say, okay, God, if this is true, I want, to, I want you to prove it to me. So you have to make your own decision. But Paul's telling them, once you've settled that, your life needs to revolve around him, and, and that'll settle things for you because he is God, verse 19. He's the one who's brought us peace, and that's what we're all looking for. There's not a life, there's not a person in this world that is, there, there's this thing, anxiousness inside that says something's not there, something's missing. Well, the Word of God says what's missing is a, is a relationship with God based on what his son did on the cross, that he died so that our sins could be forgiven, and God offers as a gift forgiveness of sins. And, and so we're going to be exploring this more uh, as we walk through the rest of this letter. Uh, he's going to not only help us understand this more because it's kind of just laying it out the base, but he's then going to go into, okay, how does, what does this mean in life? He's going to get real practical, real down to earth. And so I encourage you to come back, but I want to do this. Here's how I want to end this morning because I want you to hear Paul's heart for you, the Apostle Paul. And so I want you to just bow your head, and I'm going to read you the first few things he says in the next chapter of Colossians. And I just want you to hear it. So close your eyes and bow your head and listen to what he says. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you. My purpose is that you might be encouraged in heart and united in love so that, they may, so that you might have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you might know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Lord, uh, Paul felt it was absolutely necessary in this moment of indecisiveness and discouragement and confusion in this church in these lives and it's not so much that it's these lives these individuals lives who are all of a sudden saying what's the combination what's life about what what this what's what would fill this void in my life i thought i had the answers but i know i don't now and and lord i need something and, and paul says what you need the answer to your questions is Jesus. And not because he was just a good man who had some wise words to say, but because he's God. He holds the whole universe together. He can certainly hold my life together. He made a sacrifice that is beyond my imagination. He gave himself to a cruel, horrible death so that my sins, our sins could be forgiven. And, and you offer that forgiveness free. It's not about works. It's not about a list. It's not about do's and It's not about coming to church. It's none of those things. It's simply by saying, God, I do believe that Jesus died for my sins in my place and I accept your forgiveness. And the moment we do that, you said that you adopt us in your family. So Lord, if there's anyone in this room that that's not a settled question, that they 
don't understand, and that, and that doesn't mean just someone who hasn't accepted forgiveness. Boy, Christians, we have that struggle too. We, we, don't, we haven't settled things with you. We haven't made Jesus the focal point of our life. If there's anyone in this room that that's where they are today, point them that direction. Help them to do what they need to do, the investigation, the reading, whatever it is, to get them on the path so that the right combination can be part of their life. Pray these things in your son's name. this with me. My foes are many. My foes are many. They rise against me. But I will hold my I will not fear the war. I will not fear the storm. My help is on the way. My help is on Trouble surrounds. Trouble surrounds me. Chaos abounding. My soul will rest in. We will not fear.
Have a great week. Don't forget about the photo booth in the back, and we'll see you next time. Uh, yeah. Yes, yes.